Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. This week, we have a really interesting episode. We've gotten a lot of requests over the course of the show so far to really talk about Trump. And that's something that we really knew was important going into it, that a lot of people would be sort of expecting us to do a podcast and really, you know, dive right into Trump. And we really wanted to wait for the right moment to really talk about him and some of the tactics that he uses And I think this is finally the right time where we have a good example of a lot of the tactics that Donald Trump uses. And we're going to break down a recent speech in Michigan that Donald Trump really injected a lot of fascinating aspects to it. And it's going to be two episodes. So we're going to tackle really the first half of the speech in this episode. And then we'll get to the second half just as interesting, just as fascinating in two weeks from now on the next episode. And before we get into that and we really talk about how Donald Trump did the speech and the various persuasive patterns that's here, I'd like for everyone to check out our website at subliminallycorrect.com. We've actually have uh, all of the episodes that are there. We're also going to be ramping up some of the things that we're doing on Patreon. So for those people who are subscribers, we're going to be starting to produce some content there just as a thank you for everyone who's subscribing and supporting the show. One of the things we're going to do as the next thing there is going to be breaking down some of the symbology that happens, some of the things that people do with symbols and how it relates to values. And we're really going to be doing a deep dive and analysis into that. If you enjoy the show, give us some feedback on Twitter. Check out our Twitter page uh, at at SubliminalPod and go ahead and send us a message. Let us know what you think about all of this and give us suggestions. What are the types of things you'd like to have covered? And if you're really enjoying the show, please go on iTunes, rate us there, review us there. Let everyone know how much you like the show and that's really going to help us out because all of the different podcasting platforms where you can listen to podcasts, they actually all get their data from iTunes. So check it out there, rate it there. We're going to do as the first part of this series, uh, checking into some of these things about Donald Trump, just the first half of the speech. There's a lot here. The guy really has a certain way in which he's talking that obviously if you've been following it for a while, you may have wondered, well, how exactly does he do this? How does he seem to get out of all of these different scandals? How does he seem to walk through the world without things 
you know, touching him. And we're going to be breaking down some of the ways in which he does it. But there's a lot there. There's a lot of things to explore. And so what I want for you to be listening to today is what are the ways in which he is bringing a person back inside of their memory? In fact, the first clip here is going to be something where he's really bringing people back to a certain moment in time. And it is a famous moment, according to him anyway. It's a famous moment which he remembers and which definitely all of the crowd at his rally remembers. So let's go ahead and hear that first clip and get right into it. I remember that night, you know, it's been a long time since the Republicans won Michigan. And they said, Donald Trump has won the state of Michigan. Remember that? And this is great to start off with because, you know, like Taylor said, this is bringing them back to a, a positive mental space. He's taking them back to, you know, that historic night where Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton against all odds. And everybody was so happy about it in his side. And that's a positive state for a lot of the for all of the people at the Trump rally. And the way he does it, though, is he reenacts it. So he steps into the place of the news anchor that you know somebody might have remembered being uh, seeing and uh, stands up, stiffens his back and uh, almost does this this weird fake voice of you know what you might imagine a news anchor being. Donald Trump has won the state of Michigan. It's the cadence. And it <laughs> it's really funny, but he and so that whips them even more into like a a happy place because now they're seeing sort of Donald Trump uh, reenacting this moment in a little bit of a funny way too. Yeah, and that's a really good one to go back to, you know, for him because when we think about a presidential election, they felt like they were going to lose. There was a ton of pressure. There was a lot of we have no hope, and then all of a sudden the state started to come in, and then he started to gain up the steam, and then it was announced that he was the winner, and it was like, wow, we won. Okay, it was. Very similar to, you know, when Obama won the yes, we can, right? There's this sense of group unity. And of course, where are they? They're in a rally. They're surrounded by Trump supporters. And believe me, everybody in that room remembers where they were that night. And he knows it. So let's get to the next clip. This is where he starts sort of building a sense of collective uh, fortune and sort of uh, collective identity. Everyone here tonight is united by the same timeless American values. We defend our Constitution, we support the rule of law, and we support the heroes of law enforcement. We have pride in our history and respect for our great American flag. We defend our flag, and we honor our flag. And if others honored our flag, they'd be a lot better off, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they be a lot better off? This is a great moment because what Donald Trump is doing here is building a, a collective identity, 
by going through really all of his greatest hits. Um, he's going step by step through all of the things that the media sort of criticized him for, all the battles that he picked, you know, honoring the flag, the, you know, brings back the idea of the football players and, um, and sort of goes step by step, sort of building the cheer, almost like accomplishments. And uh, when he does that, he gets to the end and then he sort of like sticks the knife into it and says, if more people were like us, we'd have a better country, uh, almost creating that uh, fear of the other, sort of whipping up the, the, uh, the fear of people who are different. And hell, maybe there's a little tinge of uh, racism in there, too. He's, he's doing the same thing that he does in his more public appearances to both sides. And with regard to that. Um, the first beginning of it was very motivational, right? We, everyone here tonight is united. Okay, well, that's number one, group identity, right? In-group versus out-group. We're all united with our timeless American values. Well, wait a second. Now we're Americans that are united. What are those timeless American values? Now, this is really important when we're talking about values, because when a person has a value, it doesn't tend to change. They tend to have a value that lasts usually their entire life. So what people value doesn't tend to change that often. And once they've decided on their values, it doesn't shift or it doesn't change. And so what he's doing is he's talking directly to that person who feels like that is a part of themselves that isn't going to change. And what are those values? Well, those values are things like pride, respect, defense, law enforcement, the flag, and honor. Okay, well, if we were to give you know a speech and people should be paying attention about how do you communicate to a mostly you know right-leaning audience, well, these are the types of words that you should use. You should be talking about pride. You should be talking about respect. You should be talking about defense. You should be talking about honor. And, and these are things that Republicans are going to tend to respond to more than Democrats. It doesn't mean that Democrats don't respond to it, but Republicans are going to respond to it more. And because of that, this is like a code. This is a code for how do we talk to each other? Um, and there's another part of this, which is talking about symbols. And this is actually a bonus segment that we're going to be doing in the Patreon, where we're going to be talking about how is it that politicians can use symbols? How is it that even businesses use symbols to be able to shift a person's perception from one place to the other? Well, what is one of the most, um, one of the symbols that tends to stay around the longest? The flag, right? The flag is a symbol and people will fight for the flag. They will fight to defend the flag, right? And just like the flag is a symbol, many, many other things are a symbol as well. Many other things are things that a person relies upon. And when they look at that symbol, is it just the symbol? No, it, it's all that the symbol represents. It's all that that has within it. And now let's take a look at the next one. This is, this is sort of uh, gets into what really makes Donald Trump charming. And it's funny because a lot of people discount him and don't really see exactly how he's charming or how he comes off as personable. And if you're one of those people, pay close attention to this moment right here where he really gets into, into people's minds. So we started the wall 
And it's being built in San Diego. Beautiful job. They're doing a great job. And I said, you know, if we stop that wall, all the people in San Diego are going to put a lot of pressure. And I said, well, let's see about that. So I said, how much would it cost to stop the wall? Sir, it'll cost $7 million in extras. I can't pay the extras. I hate extras, right? <laughs> so we're building the wall. And this is a great one because he sort of turns his narrative about America into a story that he's telling. He could be telling this on, on his porch or in a stand-up comedy club, but he, he sort of turns it into a story without you really noticing. And now he's doing voices of the people talking to him. And, and he's uh, talking about what he said to the guy when you know they gave him a price. There's no way that this is how the series of events actually unfolded. Nobody you know goes to the president and he just has a back and forth with one person about how much the wall costs. That's not how this works. But he explains it in such a way to, you know, it could be your your grandpa sitting on the stoop or, you know, everybody around the, the dinner table or on the couch. Or even what I love is is almost like a, a stand-up comedian where, you know, he's in the comedy club and he says, and then the guy says to me, he says, you know, that's not my lawn or whatever, uh, and sort of gets to the punchline. And it's really interesting because that is what draws people into the moment and into what he's saying to where they're losing track of critically evaluating what is actually being said here. Nobody there is sitting down and saying, that's not how things work. He's just telling a story and he's very friendly. He's making it personable as if he's just walking down the street in Michigan and just talking to random people. And this guy said to me and I said to him and I told them this. So he's a great storyteller. And people who are very persuasive tend to be good at storytelling, or at least can be good at storytelling. And when they're telling the story, a person is captivated, they're engaged. There's a reason why kids are told bedtime stories. It's because it allows the critical part of the mind to relax away for a while and just to enjoy the story, to enjoy the story that's, that's here. Now, in this next clip, you know, we're going to be talking about San Diego. And as we're talking about San Diego, Donald Trump has a particular label for San Diego. Let's take a listen. If you look at what's going on with sanctuary cities now, all over California, especially California, the home of sanctuary cities, the home of sanctuary cities. But you see what's going on where areas, big areas, they don't want sanctuary cities. They want to be safe. They don't want them. This is great. This is Donald Trump really going back to his roots of, you know, crooked Hillary and crazy Bernie and uh, little Marco. He's doing that labeling where he's attaching some sort of, you know, clever tag onto some noun. And so now we've got San Diego, the home of sanctuary cities, where he's making fun of San Diego in his own way. But also, again, going back to more imagery of this might be something that you see on your drive into San Diego is that that uh, giant street sign that says, welcome to San Diego, the home of sanctuary cities. And he says it in that way so that I'm betting the vast majority of people sort of got that feeling, if not that image, in their head. 
And then once he's done that, he sort of does a, a great physical movement as well with his arm to sort of cut that off and go to they don't want them saying that implying that the people of San Diego are the ones who don't want them presumably immigrants but he never says any of that and he sort of allows uh, everybody's minds to sort of make up the idea of whatever it is in their head that they want to make he's giving a person the ability to have a an easy discussion point when their friends when their family when their co-workers when someone up on the street comes and talks to them about and says San Diego in any context the person can just respond real quick oh yeah but what about the sanctuary cities because now it's easy that's something they can remember and when a person remembers something, they, they're more likely to have it be salient in their mind. They're more likely to start to communicate that to others and also to have the recurring communication within themselves, which is what causes them to go and vote that way the next time. Now, this next clip is just one of my favorites. This is really Donald Trump at his peak. Now, he's going to be starting off uh, talking about Debbie Stabenow and talking about uh, all the the Democrats that uh, are elected in, in Michigan and how it was so hard for a Republican to win, being himself. And then he just goes on to this rant of whipping everybody up in this sort of fervor against Debbie Stabenow. And when he's gotten them, you know, sort of chanting against her, he breaks out with this. She voted against Kate's law. She voted against tax cuts. She votes against borders. She wants people to flow into the country. And you people just keep putting her back again and again and again. It's your fault. So you got to get to the poll. And this is just, there are so many levels to this. First, just listen to his cadence when he's saying that. She voted against this. She voted against that. She voted against the other thing. Do you sort of remember that cadence from anywhere? They're bringing in crime. They're bringing in drugs. And some of them, I'm sure, are nice people. <laughs> he, he Subconsciously, he's bringing everybody sort of back to those memories of uh, his, his previous, uh, previous speech. And that's something that he actually does a lot. He uses that cadence in that particular way. And I think it's totally intentional. And secondly, we get to the fact that he is actually directly blaming the people at his rally. It's your fault. Right. For Debbie Stabenow. And I'm sure none of these people voted for her. But he's uh, he's saying that he blames them for this. Uh, because they didn't work hard enough to get out and vote. And it's not actually their fault, but there's a little bit of that um, that need to please that gets sort of summoned up right there, is that they uh, they might feel as though they now need to work harder because Donald Trump is blaming us yeah. for all of these terrible things. And let's talk about the body language. It's beautiful. He sort of, he, he, he's uh, waving his arm uh, up and down and sort of blaming him. And then when he says, it's your fault, he points both fingers directly uh, past the podium at the audience, 
both fingers, not even just one. So really laying on the blame. And then after that, he immediately pulls back, throws his hands to the side, and then looks around uh, and puts a smile on his face. So, so he's sort of softening the blow and making it seem like it was all just a joke. But it wasn't really a joke, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I think the body language is absolutely critical to this, that the marriage and family therapist Virginia Satir studied this, and she formed what are known as categories of experience and specifically four dysfunctions that she identified in family systems. And, you know, one of them is what's called the blamer, which is this finger pointing, tight throated, you know, using a lot of musts and should and you got to do this. And that's what he's summoning up there. Okay. Now there's another one that is called the distractor, right? Which is the person who you try to blame them for something, but then they just go and make fun of it, right? They're always making fun of or light of something. And so he summons up both of those, blaming them. Okay. Now the blamer tends to elicit one of two responses. This is important to know. The blamer tends to elicit one of two responses. One is submission and fear, meaning a person backs down and they immediately just feel like they can't do anything. And the second one is anger, okay, at the person person doing it. You don't tend to get a lot of variation outside of those two. And so what he does when he says that, it's your fault. He summons that up, even if just for a moment. Then he immediately steps back and makes light of it. And by making light of it, he has them in an emotionally confused place where the idea, the suggestion went into their minds and yet they didn't, they didn't realize. And in fact, they can't even say anything about it because, hey, he was joking, right? And you meet these people all the time in your everyday life. You meet the, you know, the, the, how many of you have met the, the jackass at the dinner party who is going around insulting people, but with a smile on his face and he's, he's, he's joking about it. He's just joking. He's only kidding. Or, you know, the stand-up comedians, a lot of the way that they deal with hecklers is to make fun of the person, uh, but put a smile on the face. So ridicule, 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 but with the smile on the face. And um, it's really a clever tactic if you want to get your point across to somebody uh, who you want to have a continued relationship with. So you want to not alienate that individual, but you want to tell them exactly how you feel. And it's great his flexibility in this where he is able to be an actor. He's able to shift emotional states really quickly. He goes into it and then he pulls himself back out. He goes into it and then he changes to something else. And since most people don't have that amount of flexibility in their own behavior, they think of it as authentic when actually it's probably just something that he's rehearsed a lot in his public persona. All right. Now let's get to this next one. This is a fascinating one because now he's sort of, he's on this freewheeling rant about uh, the media and how unfair it is to him. And then he sort of briefly touches on something that really just caught my ear about um, the Russian lawyer, I think her name is Veselnitskaya, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who met in Trump Tower with Trump Jr. and, you know, a bunch of the other crew uh, that Trump allegedly had no knowledge of. Let's hear what he has to say about that in this, this brief little moment here. 
You know, I guarantee you, I'm tougher on Russia. Nobody ever thought. In fact, do you, have you heard about the lawyer? For a year, a woman lawyer, she was like, oh, I know nothing, no, no. Now, all of a sudden, she supposedly is involved with government. You know why? If, it, if she did that, because Putin and the group said, you know, this Trump is killing us. Why don't you say that you're involved with government so that we can go and make their life in the United States even more chaotic? Look at what's happened. Look at how these politicians have fallen for this junk. Russian collusion. Give me a break. I'll tell you, the only collusion is the Democrats colluded with the Russians and the Democrats colluded with lots of other people. Take a look at the intelligence agencies. This is crazy. This is uh, amazing because what's happening, so the, sort of the controversy behind this, there's a lot of sort of backstory that he doesn't get into. I think he just assumes that people are sort of following the minutia of the Russia case. But what he said was really telling because for the longest time, the Trump people had been saying that this woman, the the lawyer, Veselnitskaya, had not... Um, had, had nothing to do with the Russian government. And then she had been saying for the longest time that she had nothing to do with the Russian government. And he was saying that he knew nothing about any of the Trump Tower stuff. But then he sort of goes into the if I did it frame where it's he's saying that, well, if she was even doing this, uh, X, Y, and Z, like here were her, here are their motivations for it. Which is just like, it's just bonkers because he's sort of creating a, a cognitive dissonance here of, well, you know, if it did happen this way, then this is why they're acting so suspiciously. Yeah, it's the, if I did this, then this is how I would do it. And this is what it's about. And so it's like, we're in this alternate reality where, well, is that real? Is that really what's happening? Or is this just a story he's telling? Right. It, 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 it allows um, it allows people to separate in their minds two different truths and two different realities uh, that they can that they don't have to reconcile. They now have permission to sort of believe both ways, both of which, by the way, are unfair to Donald Trump. And he's the one being victimized in both worlds. And, and it's muddling truth and fiction. You know, it's muddling what is true and what's not true. And how can we even say, you know, in, in our world anymore, what is true? You know, what is the, the actual truth versus what is just something that someone's describing or talking about? Okay, let's listen to the next clip. We love our country. We believe our citizens deserve a government that is loyal to them in return, for too long, the loyalty of Michigan workers was repaid with pure and simple betrayal. You were betrayed. For decades, you were dealt one devastating blow after another. Disastrous trade deals, which I'm straightening out, and I'm not saying, hey, there may be a little pain for a little while, but ultimately for my farmers, I love my farmers. They're great patriots. And in this moment right here, he's really building this narrative of betrayal. 
not everybody in this room might be feeling this way, but he sort of tells them why they should feel this way. And he sort of walks through. And this is something that like a lot of politicians don't do. A lot of politicians will step away from sort of assigning feelings to the people in the room and saying, you feel this way. This is how you're thinking. This is how the world has has taken advantage of you. Because it may or may not actually be what people are thinking. But what Donald Trump does here is something very different. He actually is directly telling everybody how they should feel and how they should think. It's loyalty. It's betrayal. It's it's the the pain that's being assigned. And it, this is like an action movie. It's like the plot of an action movie where he's he's talking about this in, in this way where someone was loyal, they got betrayed, they had a lot of pain, they're going to get through it, eventually they're going to get to the end. Well, if you look at something, you know, archetypally, how do we structure movies like the three-act structure, for example, that you always have this this arc, this storytelling arc that he does that, that goes through movies. I'm saying he does it as well. This is something in which he's mastered where he taps into the values. And when he's tapping into, okay, loyalty is important to people. Your loyalty was betrayed. You were dealt a devastating blow. Wow. That imagery. So powerful. All right. And then this one, he sort of really, uh, does some, Deep hypnotic work. And this is something that you're definitely going to want to pay close attention to. Listen to what he does here. With, with the European Union last year, you know, it sounds so nice, the European Union. You know why? I mean, they literally did, like I said, they formed to take advantage of the United States. And I don't blame them. You know what? I don't blame them. I don't blame President Xi. I don't blame Prime Minister Abe of Japan. I don't blame the heads of these countries for taking advantage of us. I blame past presidents and past leaders of our country. And this is interesting because you're the expert here, Taylor. But what I see is he is collapsing an anchor right here. He is taking, he starts off with sort of uh, uh, acknowledging people's feelings about the European Union. Oh, the European Union sounds so nice. And sort of uh, allowing people that room to feel good feelings about the European Union. And then what he does is he almost rather abruptly transitions to very negative, very angry talk about unrelated things but sort of somehow ties them back to as if they're related to the european union and then amplifies and really builds that and whips them into this angry furor about past american leaders that really don't have a whole lot to do with the european union but now he's he's got them all riled up and in this very negative space this very negative association to the European Union that he's just changed what it all means for all of these people. Yeah, he says, this is what you thought that it was. You thought there was something good. I'm going to immediately tell you how it's bad, how it's taking advantage. Now, again, this is, what do we have so far in this speech? Who is he talking to? 
these are the people who have these these core values: loyalty versus betrayal, honor, pride, respect. Are the defense of our country. What does he want to do? He wants to build a wall. So someone taking advantage of American interests. Well, that is a very bad thing to say about someone. It's just a bad thing to attribute to someone or assign to someone or to a body. And he does it here with the with the European Union. It's it's interesting because when Brexit happened and Donald Trump getting elected happened, a lot of people kind of made the correlation. They said, well, you know, Brexit is happening over here. Donald Trump's happening over here. We see, you know, maybe some other countries are going to leave the uh, the EU. And it's interesting here how he's formalizing it. And this is something that he's doing, which is actually pretty smart. He takes it head on. He goes right for it. He owns it. He acknowledges it. And he tells him what it, what they should think about it. He tells them, this is what you need to think about the EU. This is what it really means. And then he has that great part there of, I don't blame, and then he like name drops, right? I don't blame this guy that I met with or that guy that I met with. I don't blame any of the positive people that I met with. You know, all I blame are past leaders and past presidents. And it's like, well, but that's the past. And so what are we saying now that you're the future? So he, you know, it's implied that he's blaming the people of the past. He does, he's doing this time shifting thing as well. All right, let's get to the next clip. And for the farmers, okay, it's going to get good. And we're going to let your guest workers come in because we're going to have strong borders, but we have to have your workers come in. You know, the unemployment picture is so good. It's so strong that we have to let people come in. They're going to be guest workers. They're going to come in. They're going to work on your farms. We're going to have the H-2Bs come in. We're going to have a lot of things happening. But then they have to go out. Then they have to go out. We're going to have a lot of things happening. <laughs> it's, it's, a lot of it's going to happen, and they're going to come in. So he wants to build a wall. And make no mistake, here he's talking about Central and South America. He's talking about Mexico. He's saying he he does this labeling thing where He's now creating a new category, and the new category is guest workers, okay? And it's no longer talking about illegal immigrants. It's no longer talking about criminals crossing our borders and creating crime. Now it's guest workers. Well, these are some of the good people. They're, they're the good people. So these people are <laughs> going to come in. It's really funny as you listen to this. He's like, oh, they're going to come in. We're going to let them in because you need them. You need them. We're going to let them in. But then they have to go back out. I don't know how exactly that's going to work. But as we we hear repeatedly, there are these big promises about here is how this supposedly is going to is going to work. But there are no details. Where are the details? Right. I just want to underline here. He's changing the terminology that he's using. He used to use immigrants and illegals and Mexicans. But now he's just in now it's as if he's not even talking to those talking about those people anymore, even though they are the same people. Now they're somebody else. Now they're guest workers just because he's right. And it's sort of a way for him to get the audience on his side because now he's talking about something different. And this is so, you know, it, it sounds so good. Guest. They're a guest. And they're workers, right? What are we? What are we talking about? They're workers, but they're not going to take your jobs because 
you know, you're not going to do those jobs. Instead, they're guest workers. We're going to let them in. We're going to send them out. And he's doing this specifically talking to farmers because I suppose that someone told him, hey, farmers are angry about this. You know, they're, they're feeling like it's not going to work for them. So he specifically goes, addresses, inoculates an objection so that uh, people aren't getting upset with him. That's exactly what he did, because he took a piece of paper out of his coat just before that and read the beginning off of it. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes his note cards. Uh, so in this next in this next part, um, Donald Trump is is talking about how there was a time in which he wasn't running for office, but people were asking his opinions. And we get in some interesting language patterns here and how and how he uses it. Let's listen to the next one. I wasn't running a long time ago. And I made a speech in Michigan, thanking them for the award, saying how horrible, how did you let this happen? Were all of these plants closed, moved to Mexico, they build the cars in Mexico, they sell them across the border, no tax, we lose the jobs, we lose the taxes, we lose everything. How did anybody let this happen? And guess what? Not happening anymore, folks. It's not happening. So now they're moving back. Wow. You know, he does that so intensely that it's like, wait, wait, what did he even say? Okay, but what he just did was he stacked a lot of emotional things. We lost the jobs. We lost this. We did this. We did this. But now it's getting better. Not happening. So he gets up all of their emotions really, really strongly uh, with this really intense, uh, uh, very fiery speech. He gets up all of their emotions and then it is... Now, here's what we're doing about this. We're going to make America great again. Like, now we're going to do this. Yep. This means, this means, this means, this means, and now that all means this. Yeah, and it really doesn't matter what he said there. Just notice the emotion. Notice the intonation patterns. Notice the way in which he was saying it. And you could almost take almost any words and put them into that structure, and it would still be effective, and it would still get the crowd riled up. So in this next uh, clip that we're going to be listening to, this one is another example of him doing this, but it's kind of funny because at a certain point, he, he kind of loses it for a second. So let's, let's listen to this. African-American unemployment has reached the lowest level in history, in history. Hispanic. Unemployment. Any Hispanics in the room? Hispanic? Nah, not so many. That's okay. And by the way, in all fairness, Kanye West gets it. He gets it. He gets it. And he saw that. When he sees that African-American unemployment is the lowest in history, you know, people are watching. That's a very important thing he's done for his legacy. It's a very important thing. But Hispanic unemployment, lowest level in history. Women, female unemployment, lowest level in 18 years. Wow, it's really interesting, the, the framing on his voice when he says Hispanic and African-American. It... I can't for the life of me figure out exactly what the emotional context he's trying to conjure up there, but he really, really just gets this sort of this angry voice with the fraying and it's just bubbling up whenever he says one of those words. Yeah. 
And what is he talking about? You know, African American unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, lowest level, and you know, so these are his talking points. They're like slogans. Yeah, it could, it could be. This could be an advertisement, and for, it's, for a car or something. He, he's taking credit, of course, for the economy, and you know, just do a quick Google search on you know, can presidents take credit for the economy? All presidents, of co- presidents, of course, do, but. You know, can they really honestly take credit for a lot of economic measures? Not really, right? But that's that's what he's claiming is he's building up the narrative again. And the narrative is you voted for me. We're making progress. This is happening. America is getting back to what it is, especially for places like this. All of your values are being reinforced. And, you know, you need to recognize that and feel good about that. But also, if you don't keep doing things to support me, then the outgroup, the enemy is going to win and they're going to invade our borders, our territories, and, uh, you know, uh, do all sorts of things that they, that you wouldn't like. Um, and he loses it there for a second. He loses it, right? (laughs) So African American unemployment, Hispanic unemployment, any Hispanics here? Not so many. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So he knows how to read the room. He realizes that when he says that, you know, he, he, he wants to notice, oh, are people going to applaud with that? Or are they going to raise their hands? And when they don't, he immediately moves on. He starts talking about Kanye and then he threads it back to African-American employment. Then he threads it back to now Hispanic unemployment that he says once their emotional state is up and then he goes on with the, uh, the thing about women. And uh, how there's lowest female unemployment. As we save the rest of the speech for the next episode, I want everybody at home right now to sit back and reflect on on all the ways that they watch Trump or they watch their politician that they like. And take a minute and see exactly what are the moments where they're whipping you up into a certain emotional state or where they're using their words and in very specific and repetitive ways to get you to see things in a different way and and um, take a little bit more of a skeptical eye. Yeah, notice if you can start to spot this because, you know, our tagline for this show is all the ways that politicians and newsmakers are using those psychological tactics to influence you every single day. So what we're talking about here is that, yeah, it's Donald Trump, but it's also many others. Okay, if you read the news, if you go through, if you notice speeches, if you notice how, why is it that some news articles are gaining traction? Why why does that happen? Why those and not some other ones? Well, it's because some articles are boring, right? And some are exciting. They engage you emotionally. You know, this one tip that will, you know, do this and this and this for you, you know, and it's like you can't help but click on that article. Right. You won't believe what happens next. Exactly. You won't believe what happens next. And people are saying and they invite you to fill in your own picture. So hopefully by starting to notice some of these distinctions, you're going to become more aware of all the ways that perhaps you were influenced in the past or that people who, you know, are actually just going hook, line and sinker with whatever any politician says. Okay, Donald Trump just happens to be a really good example of someone who is using a tremendous amount of persuasive tactics. Um, You know, you might not agree with his rhetoric or with his policies or with his uh, the way that he conducts himself. 
But you got to look at his persuasion ability and say, well, does he know how to persuade people or not? Effectively, he does. Okay, so let's let's learn from it. Let's say, what can we do with this? Let's begin the conversation. Make sure to tune in to the next half of this episode. So we're actually going to be breaking down the second half of this speech by Donald Trump and getting into even more of these persuasive patterns. And we know that you could tune in and go, you know, go to YouTube and watch the second half of the speech. I encourage you to do that. But if you really want to find out everything that Donald Trump does, stuff that we didn't have time to cover on this episode, you'll want to tune in, go to whatever podcast app that you have and subscribe and listen to the next episode because there's so much more to go over, including on our Patreon Go ahead and head over to Patreon. You can find it in our show notes and uh, check it out. And if you become a friend of the show, then you'll have access to a wealth of content as we develop it even further and start releasing some even more uh, awesome material for you. So encourage you all to check out the Patreon and uh, find us online at Subliminal Pod on Twitter and Subliminally Correct on Facebook. Absolutely. And we look forward to hearing from you and your comments and what sort of topics you'd like to have covered on the show, as well as who you'd like to see on the show. Who would you like to be uh, a guest here? Check us out next week for the second half of the show. <laughs>